Thanks for listening to the Cornerstone Tulsa podcast. Our mission is to cultivate a community shaped by the gospel for the renewal of all things. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at cornerstonetulsa.org or find us on social media. And with that, let's hop into this week's teaching. Church, we are uh, in for a treat today. I want to introduce our guest speaker. His name is David Taylor. Um, you prepare to be impressed with these, uh, this introduction here. David is the scholar in residence for art, media, and culture for C4SO, which is the diocese of the Anglican Church that we're in. He is a priest in the Anglican Church of North America. He is a professor at Fuller Theological Seminary. He's written over eight books. Uh, if you remember me preaching through the Psalms last year, uh, I, I really relied on one of those books called Open and Unafraid about how the Psalms teach us to process the whole gamut of the human experience in prayer. Most recently, he's the author of a book called A Body of Praise, which came out in March, and it's about the role of our physical bodies in worship, and that's what I've asked David to speak about today, and you're just going to be absolutely delighted. I first heard of David, and perhaps some of you saw David a number of years ago when he had this really cool experience. We put together a video conversation between Bono of U2, it's a, it's a regional band you may have heard of, and Eugene Peterson, who translated the message version of the Bible and wrote just a score of books on pastoral ministry. And David got together with Bono and Eugene Peterson, as one does, at Peterson's place in Montana. And the three of them sat around a table and had a conversation about the Psalms. It was videoed and put out by Fuller Seminary, and it was really just such a cool thing. You can all go watch that um, after services today. But David is, is with us. He's married to Phaedra, who's an artist. They have two children, and they will have a book of prayers and artwork coming out soon, which we'll be sure to get. But today, we're going to be in the book of Revelation, and my good buddy Ella Curzon is going to read the teaching text for us. So would you all please stand and reverence for the reading of Scripture. Ella, you want to stand right beside me? We're going to be in Revelation chapter 7. Today's teaching text comes from Revelation. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Praise, glory, and wisdom, and thanks, and honor, and power, and strength to be to our God forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Y'all can take a seat. And church, please welcome Father David Taylor. Good to see y'all. That was a wonderful reading of scripture. Thank you so much. I love it, love it, love it when kids read scripture in a sanctuary liturgical setting like this. I just think it's one of my favorite things. So well done. Uh, may the little children lead us all. And thanks again, John, for entrusting me to the congregation. Thanks again. Oh, Ben's not here, but he just leads in such a wonderful, beautiful way. 
And there's definitely a sense in the first service and the second service that you guys are alive with the life of God. So it's the best kind of preaching experience to have. You know that people are with you and they love Jesus. So may God grant us grace as we uh, look at scripture and what God has to say to us about our bodies. So let me begin my sermon by suggesting to you with a clicker that I do not have. It's right there, somewhere there. Thank you, sir. <laughs> I do not have telekinetic powers, so I cannot move the slides without a clicker. So uh, the main idea of my sermon this morning is that we discover at the very beginning and at the very end of Jesus's ministry in the Gospels, two icons of the kind of physical postures that I would call the most natural and proper response to Jesus Christ, the incarnate God. So we find these icons on the one hand in the story of the Magi in Matthew 2, and on the other hand in the story of Mary Magdalene in John 20. So in Matthew, we see a physical posture that involves a willing submission of the body to Jesus for honor's sake. And on the other hand, in John, we see a physical posture that involves a spontaneous response of the body to Jesus for love's sake. And we see these two postures depicted especially beautifully in uh, the work of two of the most famous artists of the 15th century, Sandro Botticelli and Fra Angelico. And, oops, let me go back. Here we go. Can we go back here? There it is. So, in Botticelli's visual representation of the visit of the Magi, a dramatic scene is played out among figures of the early Renaissance era who have all gathered around at the birth of the Christ child. And we see hovering around the center the, the, the wise men bowing before the, the one to whom honor and majesty is fully due as a king. So all kinds of honorific uh, postures and expressive gestures mark all the figures around the Christ child. In Fra Angelico's painting, we observe a different kind of response to Jesus. In the Dominican friar's rendering of the scene, Mary is the one, Mary Magdalene is, is the one as the first witness of the resurrected Christ who offers herself to Jesus in love. Here she is humbling her body before him, gazing upon his face with a, a kind of unselfconscious devotion. And her arms are, are not so much extending forward as they are opening outward to him. So what I'd like to suggest to you today is that what we witness in these two paintings is a twin image of faithful embodied worship. Such body, bodily worship involves the discipline of our body and the freedom of our body, or put otherwise, such worship involves both a prescriptive use of our body in worship and a spontaneous use of our body in worship. And we witness this kind of uh, physical worship, both of prescriptive and spontaneous, all throughout the Bible and all throughout church history. And while I realize that it may feel weird or awkward or strange or unfamiliar for some of us here today, to do something perhaps as radical as crossing ourselves or as radical as lifting our hands in praise, 
Let me suggest to you that, that what we do in worship, what we get to do in worship, isn't actually that weird when you think about what you do with your bodies in kind of the normal course of your lives. So a few examples of what this might look like. When you go to a college football game, whether that is uh, uh, rooting for the Sooners or the Cowboys or the Golden Eagles or best of all, the Longhorns, which I am. Uh, <laughs> okay, there are two things that you're likely to do at the last moment when, thank the Lord, the Longhorns finally beat the Sooners, which has taken a long time for us to get uh, okay, so the first thing, can I get a volunteer? Can I get somebody who's over 60 years old, which means you are gloriously, beautifully in your 60s or above? Can you stand? Thank you, sir. Uh, okay, good, good, good. We'll, we'll do this together. Yeah, I'm David. I'm Mike. Mike, nice to meet you. Okay, so what is one of the first things that happens, like, publicly to, like, officially begin a college football game? Uh, to officially begin, uh, the, the, the singing and national The national anthem. And when people sing the national anthem, they, they go like this, right? They go like this. Yeah, I, is that? Is that? <laughs> no, yeah, if you're OSU. Um, <laughs> so what do you do when you sing the national what, what would one normally do? I take my hat off. Take your hat off. Take your hat off. You stand. You put your hand. Okay, there you go. Folks, give him a hand. He did an excellent job. No, stay with me. Stay with me. You're doing great. Okay. Are you a Sooners? Yeah. Okay, good. Thank the Lord. Um, I'm just kidding. Um, okay, if the Sooners, when was the last time they won the national championship? Has, has it been a while? It's been a while. It's been a while. Okay, there's still hope. Um, when the last time the Sooners won the national championship, how might you have responded in that moment when the seconds ticked off and the Sooners won? What would that look like? And, and brother, you're in a safe place here. <laughs> Yeah. I have a business in New Orleans, so I always okay. And uh, it also meant a lot of business because oh, <laughs> it meant a lot of business. That's good. Yeah. Okay. So your hands would have been here, and you would have said that was a nice game, or yeah. you would have done what else with your hands? Like you won. Yeah. yeah. Raised them up. Raised them up. Yes, he did it. That's great. Okay. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate that. That's great. It's <laughs> a quiz. Um, that's great. Okay. There you go. This is going to be a totally participatory sermon, so don't think you can go to the bathroom and stay there the whole time. I will find you. Okay, uh, my wife and I watched Top Gun Maverick finally, and in that glorious movie, you have lots of instances where characters stand up when a figure of, a, of authority of some kind comes into the room. You stand in a certain posture, and you do something with your hands, and your body is saying, I honor you. So the question for us is, is God not also worthy of that kind of respect, that kind of honor, that kind of, of obedience, but also that kind of love and joy? Now, I know that somebody is getting married very soon. Laura and Tucker are going to get married here in a couple months. And a wedding. Uh, yes. But, hey, that was the spontaneous uh, response of your bodies. Well done. Um, <laughs> So in a wedding, a lot of ritualized uses of the bodies take place. Maybe you have your hands open when you receive uh, one another. 
uh, in our case, uh, we knelt uh, at the altar as prayers were pray, uh, prayed over us. But there are also lots of spontaneous uses of the body because it is impossible to repress the overflow of love and affection you have for one another, but also for the whole community that is with you witnessing this. And so again, I ask, is our God not also worthy of such visible acts of honor and of love? So then, how might the Bible... And church history bear witness to us ways in which our bodies might faithfully worship the Lord. So let me begin with the official worship book of Israel, the worship and prayer book that Christians throughout the centuries have regarded as fundamental in defining how we worship God, the Psalms. So in Psalm 33, 8, let all inhabitants stand in awe of him. Psalm 95, 6 Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Psalm 47.1, clap your hands, all you nations. In Psalm 72.11, we read how the kings of the earth bow down before a worthy king. While in Psalm 138, which was read for us this morning, we see how the psalmist describes bowing before the Lord in his holy temple. Here's the thing that is super interesting about all of this body kinetic language in the Psalms, it is largely command language. It is not suggestive language. It is not when you feel like it, when you get around to it, if you're in the mood or if you're extroverted, clap, honor, bow, kneel. There is a summons of the faithful to worship God with all their body to give him the honor and glory that is his due in the same way that when we stand for the flag, we are honoring, respecting something that is deserving of our honor and respect. But that's not all that we find in the Old Testament. We also find these glorious moments of expressive, spontaneous worship. So, for example, most famously, we have in Samuel 6, King David, along with 30,000 young men, that's a lot of young men, processing with the Ark of the Covenant from Judah to Jerusalem. They're doing this in order to bring the ark to its proper home, the tent of meeting. And the text tells us that David and all of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord. Just like when you're at a college football game, you're celebrating with all your might. You're not holding anything back. And as the procession draws near to Jerusalem, we're told that David begins to dance before the Lord with great abandon. When his wife Michael sees him, she is embarrassed by him. She is ashamed of him, and she lets him know it because she thinks what he's doing is vulgar, as the text says. David, in response, says to her that he will become even more undignified than this. I love it. Are you also, am I also being willing to become undignified for the Lord? I don't know. I hope so. In the message, David says, in God's presence, I will dance all I want. It's great. Go for it. But maybe it's an invitation to us as well. What would it look like for us to come to worship at Cornerstone and to offer our bodies to God in an unself-protective, unself-conscious, self-abandoned way? And the final book of the New Testament, the book of Revelation, which was so wonderfully read for us, we discover how a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, peoples, languages stands before the throne and before the Lamb and palm branches were in their hands. The whole company of the cosmos 
stands in honor of the one who is due that honor. Two, two verses later, however, in chapter 7, verse 11, we see that the angels that are standing around the throne fall on their faces before the throne and worship God. This, it seems, brothers and sisters, is the most natural thing for the angelic creatures to do. There's nothing else. It's like sunflowers. I, I once uh, lived in Germany for a little while, and I would go for, I was a runner, and I ran a lot, and I ran th through a lot of sunflower fields. And sometimes I would run in the morning, sometimes I'd run in the evening. And if you know this, you know that sunflowers follow the face of the sun. And so in the morning, the sunflowers were all, the fields, massive fields, all face this way. And by the afternoon, the, the sunflowers face that way. Sunflowers can't do anything but turn their faces to the sun. We are the only creature in the entire universe that can choose not to turn our faces to the one who made us. So there's this invitation, this inspiring vision in the book of Revelation that invites us to this. So all throughout the Bible, we find both and, both prescriptive and spontaneous bodily expressions of worship. We find both the discipline and the freedom of the body. And Christians throughout history have taken up this invitation in all manner of ways. Allow me to give you two examples. In 4th century Jerusalem, there was this palpable sense that the body of Christ was a community of peoples all across the city of Jerusalem at the time. And they would often process starting in the north side and work their way downward and then pause at one sanctuary, one church, worship together, pray together, and then move together into another space. And if you were around in the late 80s or early 90s, uh, you may have heard of this thing called the March for Jesus. These marches that took place all around cities in the world and Christians from all congregations, all denominations would gather and march through city streets. It was just a glorious thing to behold and participate in. Another fascinating group of Christians in church history, uh, early 18th century America, they came from England, but then they established a presence in, in, uh, in the U.S., the Shakers. And very early on in their worship life together, they had these prescriptive and spontaneous uses of the body. They would do things, uh, it's almost like a square dancing of a kind. It's like they would move towards each other and away from each other. They'd move individually, they'd move together, they'd move in circles, all because they read and took seriously the language of the Psalms that had sort of this kinetic contour to the spiritual life. And they said to themselves, our bodies get to participate in that love and praise of God. This language, I think, also shows up in our songs. Uh, there's a little close-up there. Um, in, in the very famous hymn, Holy, 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 we find ourselves joining the, the angels, archangels, the cherubim, seraphim, falling down before the Holy Trinity. While in maybe more contemporary terms, Chris Tomlin's song, God's Great Dance Floor, does anybody remember that was a big thing? It was a video that came out. There's a guy that, that played the mariachi trumpet amazingly and I thought to myself I'd love to be there in like live concert with that mariachi trumpet because I, I would I would join in and there's this sense that when you have this real apprehension of the face of Jesus Christ your whole body wants to participate in responding in love to it what is my point my point is this our bodies were not designed to be muted or muzzled in worship nor were our bodies designed to get out of the way 
so that the mind and heart can allegedly get on with the more serious business of worship. Our bodies instead were designed to worship God without holding anything back. Not the honor that is due our God, nor the affections that our hearts would offer to him, that our bodies would gladly match in visible and tangible ways. Let's see, I have here, I do believe, 1 Corinthians 6.20, as the message puts it, the physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. That's what sometimes happens here. People get to see God in and through your body. That's what happens at, on the home front. People get to see if Jesus really is alive in and through your body, at work, at school, in public places, on social media. People get to see God in and through your body, especially if you're on TikTok. There's a lot of that going on. God commands us to offer our bodies fully to him in praise and prayer, but our gracious God also welcomes our heartfelt expressions of bodily praise. So what does that mean for us as Anglicans here at Cornerstone Church? Let me offer some examples of prescriptive uses of the body, which is up on the screen, and then some examples of spontaneous uses of the body that we get to do here at Cornerstone Church. So then, prescriptive, things that we do because it's just what we get to do with our bodies. So, I was raised in Guatemala City. I was a missionary kid. Uh, we were part of the Bible Church tradition, Dallas Theological Seminary. And uh, it was a wonderful tradition to grow in. I have so much affection for it, so much love for scripture that was cultivated in me at an early age. But we did nothing with our bodies when we came to church. It was like this, it was like this, it was like this, it was like this, it was, it was, like, it was like this, you know. It was like however much you could sort of shrink in on your body. That's what we did. But we were also in a predominantly Catholic country. So not only were we faithful Bible church, we definitely did not do what the Catholics did. Uh, and I played soccer a lot. I prayed it for, for, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and then more. And one of the things that my, all my friends who were Catholic did after they scored a goal was they would cross themselves and throw their hands into the air as a way to say, wasn't that awesome? And I'm like, you're superstitious, hypocritical, dark ages, you papist uh, failures, you Philistine Christians. Um, and it wasn't until my 20s that somebody actually like bothered to explain to me like why it is that 1.5 billion Christians across planet Earth and since the earliest centuries of the church crossed themselves. So I, I thought I'd share it with you. This is why. There are two reasons. The first is for the body to participate in what your brain knows and your heart knows, which is that we fundamentally as Christians live a cruciform life. So I have been crucified with Christ and what does it, go, what does it say after that? And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So this is a way for our bodies to participate and what our minds and our hearts know to be true, that we live a cruciform life. And here's the thing. The cruciform life really shows up in your moments when you are perhaps at your worst self, your most tired and frustrated self. Will you lay down your life in Jesus' name in order to love your family, to love your neighbor, to love people at work, to love the people who are across political aisles? That's when we get to see in our bodies whether we're living into that cruciform life. It's an invitation. 
Second reason Christians cross themselves is to symbolize the fact that we worship a triune God. I teach theology for a living. I teach my students at Fuller Seminary. One of the first things I tell them that is, if God is triune, everything must make a difference. Everything follows from that fundamental fact that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so when we cross ourselves, is it a way to say that all things are from the Father and we receive them in the Son, but we experience them in real and vital ways by the Holy Spirit who binds us to the life of Jesus. And so when somebody explained it to me, I thought, that's amazing. I want to do that. In the same way that at an anthem, I want to stand. It feels like the most proper fitting. Like it doesn't make sense to do anything else but to stand and to put my heart and to take my hat off. And when Christians gather, they can do things with their bodies that make sense. The body wants to praise actively God. Where is it that we might do this? All I can tell you is what we do at my church in Austin, Texas. Uh, I worship at Church of the Cross. Anytime the name of the Trinity is mentioned, we cross ourselves as a way to say yes and amen again and again and again and again. Our God is triune. A second place where we do it, uh, we process and recess a cross. And there's usually a young person who carries a cross. And then at the reading of the gospel, which is, I, I really love this, is the person reading the gospel. I'm going to do this. I'm going to come here. Uh, stands right here in the middle and all bodies turn. Like you're all looking at me. Uh, your bodies are turning. Um, so all bodies are turning as a way to actually pay attention to the gospel, but also to symbolize that all of our lives would orient itself around the gospel. That Jesus Christ is living here among us, and may we incline our hearts. And then the person says uh, something like the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew, for example. And uh, I'll go back here. Um, uh, and uh, so we cross ourselves on our mind, on our lips, and on our heart as a way to say, Lord, my thoughts often betray me, but may you sanctify my thoughts so that when I hear those words, they would transform my mind. May I be renewed by the reading of the gospel. My lips, may they be sanctified in hearing the gospel so that I may speak the gospel. Because with our lips, we bless those that are made in the image of God. And with our lips, we what? We curse those who are made in the image of God. So we're saying, oh Lord, sanctify my lips. My lips. They often betray me. And then sanctify my heart. That is often errant often awry, often deceiving me. So sanctify my heart. May the gospel plant itself deep in the center of my being. So those are things that we get to do. It's an invitation. Our hands. Uh, there are things that we can do prescriptively with our hands. At my church, at least, when we come and receive uh, the Eucharist, we hold our hands open as a way to actually receive the elements, but also to symbolize that all that we have is a gift. Every single thing that we have is a gift of God's grace. And so this is a way to say, I receive that, but Lord, may my entire life be lived out of that reality that I am fundamentally a gift. I am a grace. I am a blessed creature made in the image of a God who loves me everlastingly. Other thing that we started doing recently at our church is at the, Lord, uh, the praying of the Lord's Prayer. We hold hands. This is like a recent thing. Um, and, uh, and some people 
for, for many different reasons, maybe feel uncomfortable, awkward, uh, weird. Uh, and so it took a while to kind of get used to it. But what I love about it is it's a way for our bodies to say this prayer that we pray, that Jesus taught us to pray, may we together live into it. That we as Christ's body, members of his body, may it be so among us. And even more so, outside of the context of the sanctuary, may we not forget that we are members of one body when we may be tempted to believe that you are not a member of the body of Christ and we will curse you. And so, because this is what happens. We're broken. We're sinful. We're fractured by sin. So our hands are saying, may we live into this reality that maybe my heart and mind faintly believe. Spontaneous uses of the body. Um, okay, our hands. Um, again, I grew up in the Bible church. We did nothing with our hands. Hands are down here. It wasn't until my senior year of high school that I went to an Assembly of God youth group. Now, I know Oral Roberts is in the house. So any AG, uh, any background, any AG background people? AG, okay, good. Don't, don't be shy. Uh, <laughs> be proud. Uh, I was just in Springfield, Missouri, which is capital of Assembly of God. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, I didn't do anything with my body. I went to this youth group, senior year of high school, and the youth pastor uh, took a, a Wednesday night went one time to explain to the kids, like, wh why do you raise your hands? Like, it's what you grew up in. It was, like, completely normal. But why? It was immensely helpful to hear somebody explain to me, like, the goodness and the joy and the, and the formative power of raising my hands. And, uh, and as a, a good Bible church kid, it took me a while to get from here to here to here. Can you see it? Barely, barely, barely. It's super safe. Uh, it's just, they can just sneak back right there. That's it. And then you kind of, you come out here, you kind of windshield wipe your way around, right? <laughs> Complete safety right here. Any moment I can drop them, right? And then eventually you take off. That's super scary right there. That's like, it's like a quantum leap. Um, and, uh, and then you do this, right? And uh, it took a long time, but once sort of, you know, I, I was in a trusted space, it was normal, it was part of the culture, you know, the kids were all kind of encouraging and friendly and no weird pressures were placed upon me. And then I just, I loved it. I thought, oh yes, sometimes it is a spontaneous overflow of my heart. And sometimes it's my body saying, I choose to praise you. I don't feel like it. I don't want to, but the honor is due to you. In the same way that at a college football game, we stand, that honor is due to the Lord. We, we go like this when we won, like 2005, Longhorns won the championship. My body was all over the place. I, was, I couldn't contain the joy. And is our God not worthy of that kind of affection? Last example, dancing. Um, I say the D word and some of you are cringing. You're sweating because you think I'm going to invite you to dance. And you're right. No, I'm not. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, let me just say a qualifier, which I mentioned in this first service. What I'm about to say is not really about dancing. Like, it's an invitation. Yes, it may happen. Yes, here at Cornerstone. And if it does, I hope it blesses all of you. It's not about dancing. It's about an unself-protective, unself-conscious, self-abandoned love of God with whatever it is that we have. We have a woman in our congregation. She's 90 years old, extremely frail, in a wheelchair, but that woman, she is present in her body. All that she has, she offers, even if it's a modest, you know, series of movements. So let me tell you a story about Tim Deal. Tim Deal was wonderful. I was a pastor at a church in Austin, Texas for a number of years in the early 2000s. And Tim was an MBA student at the University of Texas. He was the poster child of conservative 
uh, you know, Docker's khaki, loafers, brown, blue button, clean cut haircut. He always went to whatever that clean cuts, uh, you know, pro cuts, whatever that was called. Uh, incredibly well-mannered, polite, lovely human being. Imagine that person here at Cornerstone. It may be you. That's great. Imagine yourself. So Tim started attending Hope Chapel, uh, and um, he uh, and we were so blessed to have him. He was a wonderful part of our of our congregation. Uh, and then one Sunday, he did something that surprised all of us. So I'm going to have to illustrate it for you. Tim knows this. I, I do this a lot, and I always I, I love Tim for for letting me um, use him as an example. Uh, what's your name? Justin, and I'm not going to make you dance. Um, I'm just, <laughs> although, uh, you only go around once. Uh, no, so it'd be like, I'm Tim, and Justin is here, and we would be standing like you guys were standing, and he would be like this, and then uh, uh, there was no advance warning, um, and then, pardon me for making a fool of myself, uh, Tim started going like this. I'm going to go all the way around. You think I'm joking, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> and it was like, you know, it was like a toy soldier meets Maria von Trapp. It was like, the hills were always alive when Tim danced. And he'd do like two or three circuits, and then he'd go and stand next to Justin, and then that was it. And it was extraordinary. We were not a dancing congregation at all. Uh, and I finally plucked up the courage to ask him, like, Tim, why do you do that? Um, I mean, it's kind of awesome, but like, what? Uh, and he said, you know, I've always struggled with being afraid of how people perceive me. So if I can control my body, then I can control how people perceive me, and I want to be liked. But I've been feeling convicted by God that I should probably figure out how to die to that. And it's not part of my tradition, but I just felt like that's what I can do. And I don't want to draw attention, so if you think I should stop, I'll stop. I was like, no, no, it's, it's, it's such a beautiful gift. He's like, it's not my personality at all. It's always a sacrifice of praise. But I feel like slowly but surely, God is reforming my heart to not be afraid of how people perceive me. And Tim is still faithful. He's still, I don't know if he dances as much as he used to, uh, but I reached out to him recently to tell him how much I was grateful for him. And again, it's not really about dancing. It's about just yielding your God uh, with abandon. So let me end this way. Let me explain to you, just in case it's not clear, what I don't mean in this sermon, what I'm not really trying to say, and then what I am trying to say. The first thing to say is, it's not about legalism. You're not under law. God will not like you more or less with whatever you do with your, your bodies. And if you want to come to Cornerstone and you want to be a mess, I do believe that John and the rest of the staff, pastoral staff, would say to you, be a mess. Be not put together. But it is an amazing opportunity that we have to offer to our maker loving obedience and obedient love with our bodies. Second thing to say is if you stand, raise your hands, you bow, you kneel, you go on your face, you cross yourself, it will not automatically make you more like Jesus. Far from it. There's nothing magical. No church has a corner on the market of mindless worship, heartless worship, or bodily worship. When I pass a peace with my wife and I have had aught with her early that Sunday morning, which is when the aught is at its peak uh, point, uh, I can offer her a peace, I can give her a kiss on the cheek, and we can be a thousand million miles away from each other. But what it is, when the things that I do with my body, it's an opportunity for my body to train me, to habituate itself, to love Jesus in and through 
my body. And then third, what we do with our bodies isn't really about our personality types. The AG church that I went to it had doctors, merchants, lawyers, very capable human beings, old, young, and they all did things with their bodies. It was very normal for them to do it. It's not for the uh, emotionally expressive, it's not for the charismatics, it's for all of us. It's all of creation gets to offer itself in wonder, uh, in wonder love, and praise. So let me say it this way. I know some of you are thinking, man, I just can't handle the negative peer pressure. Like, I just, uh, not for me. And maybe it's traumatizing in some way, and I get that. But perhaps think of it this way. When you go to a sporting event of any kind, and then something really awesome happens, you find yourself willingly swept up. You think to yourself, I wasn't in the mood, but I am in the mood now. My good friend's from seminary is Canadian, and he went down to like the University of Boulder or Colorado, one of those, where they have like flybys at, at football games because the Air Force Academy is nearby. He's Canadian, like honest to God, Canadian. But the national anthem and the fireworks and the, and the, and the flybys were so impressive that he's like, I couldn't help myself. I put my hand on my heart and I started singing the national anthem, even though I'm not American. Um, I thought, well, that's kind of cool. That's, that's the invitation is we can find ourselves being invited into like a socially infectious love for Jesus. Ultimately, friends, we don't move our bodies for the sake of movement alone, ever. We move our bodies because we want to be caught up in something bigger than ourselves. And in fact, we were made by God to be caught up in something bigger than ourselves, which is what? It's this. It's a movement of angels who bend their gaze before the ascended Christ. It's a movement of saints drawn irresistibly to the Lord of heaven and earth. It's a movement of rivers that clap their hands and of mountains that skip for joy. And it's the movement of stars in their heavenly course and of the entire cosmos, which assumes an orbit of love around the lamb on his throne in whom all things hold together. Brothers and sisters, feel free to forget everything I have said this morning except for this. Whatever you do with your body, may it be done for love's sake. Maybe because you've had some kind of genuine encounter with the love of Jesus for you, with the grace of Jesus for you. And if you haven't, or if you feel those things are far away, cry out. The Lord's ears are attentive to the poor and the needy. And if you need somebody to pray with you, I know John and the rest of the pastoral staff would pray with you if your heart is hurting or feeling distant from God. But may all that we do be done for Lord, the, the Lord's sake and for love's sake. And in offering our bodies, may we experience grace upon grace upon grace. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are faithful beyond what we can ask or imagine. And we offer ourselves to you this day as we are. Uh, the condition of our minds and however frantic, frenetic, chaotic our thoughts may be, our feelings that may be all over the place, our bodies that, that may be beleaguered, tired, frustrated, discouraged, broken, sick. And we offer them to you this day afresh and say, Lord, make us anew. Breathe the breath of your spirit upon us. Renew us, revive us, and be faithful to complete that good work which you began in each of us long, long ago. We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, amen. We're so grateful you listened to this week's sermon at Cornerstone. If you live in the Tulsa area, we'd love to invite you to be a part of our worship and community in person. You can find service times and more information at our website. 
But wherever you are, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and give you peace.